Our text this morning is Romans 8.29. Romans 8.29. Not only will we be focusing on one verse, we'll be focusing on just one word. For new. Let me read verse 29 again. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The meaning of the word foreknow is this God loved his sheep. Before the world began. Let me read that again. We're going to focus our entire sermon on that word for new in verse 29. What does that word mean? God loved his sheep before the world began. This word is the first link in a series of links that some people refer to as the golden chain. And the golden chain contains five glorious words that are linked together. And let me tell you those Five links in the golden chain. You can look down in your Bibles and you can even mark them. In verse 29, here's the first link. For new. Here's the second link. Predestined. Here's the third link. Down to verse 30. Called. Here's the fourth link, justified. And here's the fifth link, glorified. Around the world, there are some very large bridges that are called chain bridges. Most suspension bridges use some kind of Steel rods or cables to hold the platform of the bridge up across some kind of body of water. But there are some chain bridges that use enormous chains to support the main deck. But as time passes and as cars get bigger and as cars get heavier, bridges like the silver bridge in West Virginia in the United States, this bridge could no longer support the weight. And in 1967, as cars were driving across the Silver Bridge, the chains, the links in the enormous chains that held the bridge broke and the bridge collapsed. And on that day, 
46 people died. Now that's serious. But the golden chain in Romans 8, 29 and 30, carries something much more valuable than a bridge. It carries something much more valuable than cargo. It carries something much more valuable than cars, even something much more valuable than human lives. This golden chain of five links is so important because it carries eternal salvation. And if one of these links break, even one, then there is no salvation. There is no eternal life. There is no future in heaven. And there is no hope for eternity. It all comes crashing down. This golden chain has five links and five words. And the first two words in verse 29 are foreknew and predestined. Those things happened to God's people long ago before the world began. The next two links in the chain, which are called and justified, those happen in the present. And the final link of the chain, glorified, that will happen in the future. This golden chain describes the way every Christian is saved. If you are a believer today, this golden chain describes how you came to Christ. The Bible says that before the world began, even though you placed your faith and trust in Christ, let's say in 2018, all alone, in the middle of the woods, on your knees, you looked to Christ and you trusted in Him. The Bible says that's actually not how your salvation began. It began before the world began. When God foreknew you and He predestined you, and then He called you, and then He justified you, and there will be a day sometime in the future when you are glorified and you become Like the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You are conformed into his image. Every true believer. Has these five links. There is no example of someone who has. Let's say two or three links. But not four and five. With this it is all or nothing. God takes you from beginning to end. And if he does not take you from beginning to end, he does not take you at all. Now, these words are very important. They're so important that it's going to take at least a sermon per word. So what we're going to do this morning is focus on just the first link of the chain. And that is the word for new. But even before we get to the word foreknow in verse 29, I'd like us to back up to the beginning of chapter 8 and look at verse 1. To explain a little bit the context of this chapter. 
Romans 8 is all about assurance of salvation. Romans 8 answers the question, how do I know that I am saved? Assurance of salvation and eternal security are similar but not the same. Eternal security asks the question, can I ever lose my salvation? That's eternal security. And the Bible teaches, once saved, always saved. If you are a true believer, you can never lose your salvation. That's eternal security. Assurance of salvation asks a slightly different question. It doesn't ask, can I lose my salvation? It asks, have I ever been converted in the first place? Have I ever become a true believer? Romans 8.1 says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But here's the question. How do I know if I'm in Christ Jesus? It might be you today. You don't know if you're a Christian or not. Oh, you attend church. You might have been baptized as an infant. You have multiple Bibles at home. But deep down in your soul, you do not know if you are a true believer. My mother has a friend back home. And she's a wonderful lady. We've been friends with her for decades. She sent all of her children to a Christian school. Her children are serving the Lord. But for whatever reason, she has struggled with assurance of salvation her entire life. As far as I know. Some people struggle with assurance of salvation because they've never truly been converted. Some people have truly been saved, but they still struggle because they don't understand the gospel as well as they should. Some people are truly converted and they struggle with assurance of salvation because they have sin in their life. And it has such a damaging effect upon their conscience that they say, how, how can I be a true Christian and act this way? Well, in Romans 8, Paul gives several ways to know if you're a true Christian. Now, we generally think of the book of 1 John as the greatest book that talks about assurance of salvation. That would be true. The go-to book is the little epistle of 1 John that was written specifically to people that they may, according to 1 John 5.13, that they may know that they have eternal life. It's not something that you have to question. You can actually have assurance of salvation. How many people have you met? Well, I don't know. You know, No one knows until they get to heaven. No, 1 John was written that we could know. But here is another great passage, a book given to salvation, Romans, Romans 8, and he gives several ways to know if we have genuinely been saved. The first one is that Paul tells us there is a difference between the way the saved and the unsaved live. 
Romans 8 verse 4 says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This means that unbelievers spend most of their time thinking about sinful things. Well, I don't know if I'm a believer or not. Well, do you spend most of your time thinking about sinful things? We have a word for that, a phrase for that. It's called walking according to the flesh. But Paul says, if you walk according to the Spirit, verse 4, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. This means that true believers spend most of their time thinking about things that please the Holy Spirit. Has there ever been a time in your life when you say, I spent all of my time thinking about worldly things, but now, even though I'm not perfect, I see that there's a change in the way I focus my mind towards spiritual things. That ought to give you assurance of salvation. Second, the Spirit works in true believers. Verse 15 tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells them. There's no such thing as a true believer that does not have the Holy Spirit. The prosperity and charismatic world today tells you that First you get saved, and then when you start speaking in tongues, that's when you'll be given the Holy Spirit. Not so. All true believers have the Holy Spirit. And Paul assures his listeners here that the Holy Spirit assures them inwardly that he is their father. They even cry out, verse 15, Abba, Father. And he gives them a kind of inner feeling that they are loved by him. The Puritans illustrated it this way. They said, imagine if a father and a son are walking hand in hand down the beach alongside the ocean. And as they're walking together, the little boy holding his father's hand, the boy thinks, you know, my father really loves me. But then suddenly, without any warning, the father reaches down and scoops up his son in his arms and holds him tightly in his arms. And the little boy thinks, now I really know that my father loves me. That's the idea in verse 15 and 16, when the Bible says the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There are, there are subjective times in our life when we feel so close to the Lord and we say, you know, the Holy Spirit is witnessing with my, my spirit. I just know that I am a child of God. Third, true Christians have a different view of suffering than unbelievers. They know that Jesus, their king, suffered. So when true believers suffer, they know that they are sharing in Christ's pain. Verse 17, 
And they know that any present difficulties that we face are nothing compared to the pleasure that we will enjoy in heaven. We know that we don't live for this world. We know that our greatest joy isn't what this present time gives us. In fact, we know that the whole creation is longing for something better in the future when we'll be given new bodies. Do you think that way? That ought to give you assurance of salvation. Fourth, the Holy Spirit helps believers to pray. Have there been times in your life when you don't know how to pray? We don't know what to ask for. And in those times, verse 26 and 27, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf because he knows everything to pray for. He knows the future and he knows exactly what we need. Fifth, God makes everything work together for good for the Christian. That means there are no mistakes and there are no accidents in the life of a believer. And so now, with all that in the background, we come to verse 29 and we find another assurance of salvation because we start to think, well, what happens if it collapses? What happens if Jesus lets me go? What happens if the faith that I have in Jesus now will somehow fade away? What happens if, like that bridge, there's a crack and it all comes tumbling down? The golden chain is another way for Christians to say, I know I'm going to heaven. And so let's look at this word for New in verse 29. I want to give you the definition again because I'm just going to give it to you in one brief sentence and then we're going to break it into three parts. Here's what the word for no means God loved his sheep before the world began. Let's first start with those first two words God. Loved. You know, when we see that word foreknow, we have the suspicion that it simply means to know something ahead of time, right? For means before, know means to be aware of something. We, we think of a, a forecast, right? To forecast the weather means to predict. The snow or the rain or the weather that's going to happen next week. And it is true that God knows all things ahead of time. No doubt about it. God is omniscient. 1 John 3.20. God knows all things. David said in Psalm 139.4. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Jesus knows our thoughts. And he knows the secrets of our hearts. Psalm 147.5, his understanding is beyond measure. Peter told Jesus in John 21.17, Lord, you know everything. So, I acknowledge that the Bible teaches 
God knows all things. But that is not what this word means in verse 29. It's not simply saying that God is aware of what will happen ahead of time. Because the word know can also have a deeper kind of meaning. It can mean to have an intimate relationship with someone else. It can mean to have a friendship with someone. We might say we know President Ramaphosa. Well, we might be aware of him. But Ramaphosa doesn't know us. We don't have a relationship with him. Foreknow here means actually to befriend. It means to have a love for someone in advance. A good example of this is in Matthew 125. When it says that Joseph did not know his wife before Jesus was born. Now what does that mean? Does that mean he wasn't aware of his wife, Mary, before Jesus was born? No. It wasn't saying that. It means he did not know her in the most intimate way possible for a husband and wife to know each other until Jesus was born. It is foolish to think that this word simply means to be aware of something in advance because God is aware of everything in advance and everyone in advance. Rather, know here means a special, loving relationship. It means to befriend someone. Again, Romans 8.29, for those whom he foreknew. And when you come to the word foreknew, just insert the word love or elect or befriend. Now, what did he foreknow? Or we could say, who? Whom did he foreknow? This verse is not talking about events that God foreknew. It's not talking about things that God foreknew. It's actually people that God foreknew. If you are a believer today, the Bible says that God foreknew you. He foreloved you. He had a relationship with you before the world began. And that's why verse 29 says, For those whom he foreknew. Some people say that God foreknew which people in the future would believe and which people would not believe. And those he saw that would believe in Jesus, he therefore chose them. It's as though God was looking down the corridors of time and he looked into the future and he said, I think Cornet is going to believe in me and therefore based on that, I'm going to choose and elect him. It's not what this verse is teaching The Bible says God foreknew his sheep. He loved them in advance. He elected them in advance. 
The word those in verse 29 refers to the people in the previous verse that love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, in Scripture, there are three groups of people that are foreknown by God. Let me give you these three groups. The first group is Jesus himself. Jesus was foreknown. 1 Peter 1.20 says that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world. This means that Jesus Christ was foreloved by the Father and was chosen to die for sinners. In other words, the cross was the plan all along. It wasn't a plan B. God knew from before the world began that Jesus would go to the cross. God the Father chose God the Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. Peter said in his sermon in Acts 2.23, Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus was foreknown. Second, the Jews were foreknown. That means they were selected. Of all the different groups that God could have chosen from, he looked down on the Jews not because of anything special in love about them. He said, I'm going to set my special love, my special relationship, my special friendship upon this group of people. Psalm 135 and verse 4. The Lord has chosen Israel as his own possession. It doesn't say the Philistines, the Amalekites. It says Israel. Amos 3 and verse 2 is a good example of why no or forno can't simply mean to be aware of something beforehand. Listen to Amos 3.2. God says this to Israel. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Does that mean God isn't aware of any other people? No. It means it was only with the little nation of Israel that he would have in the Old Testament that special, intimate relationship. Jesus was foreknown. The Jews were foreknown. And the third group, God's elect or God's Sheep were foreknown. Jesus once said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and they know me. Of course, Jesus is aware of everyone, but he has only a special saving love for Christians and only Christians have a special love for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says unbelievers don't even love Christ. They actually Hate him. John 3, men are lovers of darkness rather than light. 
Our final question is, when did God know? Or when did God specially love his sheep? It was four. It was before. It was before the world began. It was in eternity past. The prophet Jeremiah is a good example of one that was foreknown by God. Jeremiah 1, 5, the Lord said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not I was aware of you, because God was aware of everyone. No, God said, I knew you in the sense of I had a special calling for you. I had a special love for you. God, who knows all things before they happen, had a sovereign plan for Jeremiah before he was conceived. Jeremiah was to be consecrated as a preacher. And God had determined that Jeremiah would be a preacher without ever consulting him. He's the creator. And he can do what he wants with his creatures. And before consulting us, God foreknew His elect, his sheep. What I want to do right now is give five applications from this passage. Five lessons from this word foreknow. This morning we learned that foreknow means that God loved his sheep. Before the world began. He chose, you could say, his sheep before the world began. Five lessons from this. Number one. God's foreknowledge should terrify unbelievers. Are you a Christian this morning? Are you a believer? Or are you playing the game? If you're not a believer this morning, God's foreknowledge should terrify you. Because just as it is true that genuine believers are known by God and loved by God, so it is also true that God does not know unbelievers. Oh, he knows of them. He is aware of them, but he does not know them in the special loving way. He doesn't have a special loving relationship with them. You say, that's not true. God loves everyone and God knows everyone. In Matthew 7, 23... Jesus says some terrifying words to a pastor. Earlier in Matthew 7, Jesus said, That would mean enter into the narrow way. And after he gives that message, a a pastor comes to, to Jesus and he says, Lord, Lord, 
haven't you seen all the good things I've done? Haven't I taught in your name? And haven't I cast out demons in your name? And haven't I performed miracles in your name? Essentially, haven't I been baptized? Haven't I joined the choir in the church? Haven't I done all of these goods, good things that certainly will bring me eternal life? Certainly, these good activities will outweigh my bad activities. And certainly, based on the basically good life that I've lived, I'll get to heaven. And Jesus looked at that man in Matthew 7, 23, and he said, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never, what? I never knew you. And so this morning, you have to ask yourself two questions. Do you know God? And does God know you? If you trust in Christ alone, you can be assured that he loves you and he knows you. So believe and trust in Christ alone today. He came to earth to live a perfect life. It's as though that there was a a great gulf between a holy, loving God and sinful creation. What will bridge that gap? What will bridge that gap is the Lord Jesus Christ who sits between God the Father and sinful humanity and brings their hands together. Only Jesus Christ can do that. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Second lesson from this word foreknow. God's foreknowledge should encourage believers. You know, there are many things that Christians don't know. We don't even know how to pray correctly. I mean, how do you pray? Should I, should I take the job in Cape Town or Joburg? I don't know. Who should I marry? Where should I work? What should I do? I don't know. There are so many things we don't know. But it should encourage us that God knows just what to pray for. He knows how to make all things work together for good. And he knows his sheep in a special way long before the world began. What knowledge. What love. Third. God's foreknowledge should assure believers. Remember that our faith is not the ground of our salvation or election. We didn't choose first and then based on our choice, God chose us. That's what some people say. That's even what many Christians say. No, we love him only because he first loved us. God didn't choose us because of our foreseen faith, but according to his purposes. And because of that, we know that he will help us to persevere in our faith. 
He does not give in broken he does not give broken gifts. He gives us even the ability to believe. And if he's given us the ability to believe, if he started those chains along the process, he won't break it halfway through. He'll take us to the end. Fourth. God's foreknowledge should motivate believers. The truth of God's foreknowledge should push us to evangelize more fervently. This verse reminds us that the things that ultimately causes someone to be saved isn't their choice of God, but in fact, it's God's choice of them. God will save his sheep. Some people might say, well, then why evangelize if God's already chosen? Why evangelize? Why tell anyone? God's going to do his thing. But God also uses means. And the means that he uses to accomplish his task is evangelism. It's prayer. We have the story of Paul in Corinth. And he was discouraged and he wanted to leave Corinth. But that night, maybe even when his bags were packed and he was ready to leave, he received a vision. And in that vision, he was told, don't leave the town of Corinth. Because I have many people in this city. What he was told was, the Lord Jesus has sheep in that village. They may not yet have been converted, but they'd already been chosen. And when Paul heard that, he didn't say, oh great, now I can just go on to the next place. In fact, the Bible says he was in Corinth for a year and a half. It's as though Paul said, hey, this is a great deal. It's already going to happen. I want to be a part of that process. I don't save people. I don't change their hearts. I hand out tracts to everyone I give to. And I don't worry about if they believe or not believe because that's not my responsibility. I'm not the cook. I'm just the server. Jesus is the cook. I just take what he cooked and I just deliver it to people. So don't, don't force people to eat it. Just serve what the Bible has given us. Evangelize. Tell others of Christ. Because we know it's not ultimately up to us. It's up to the Lord Jesus. The majority of missionaries throughout church history have believed this doctrine of God's election and God's sovereign saving grace in salvation. And it's given them so much motivation That they've gone all around the world to say, I just got to tell people about Jesus and I have so much confidence because I know that God's going to save who he wants to save. And I just want to be along for the ride. Finally, God's foreknowledge should awe believers. Do you know the word awe? Amaze. 
Remember, we've learned today that foreknowledge is not simply seeing events ahead of time, but it means to have an intimate friendship and love towards God's elect. But it doesn't mean that God wasn't aware about things in us ahead of time. The Puritans liked to say that knowledge without wisdom is like a metal in a blind horse's mouth. They like to say that knowledge without wisdom is like putting the bit in the horse's mouth, but the horse is blind. In other words, what good is knowing the facts if you don't know where you're going, if you don't know what to do with it? You'll be like a blind horse galloping over a cliff. And the amazing thing is that God did see us in all of our sin in advance. He did look ahead at Corneille and Paul and Audrey. He looked ahead of us. And even though we were sinful and wicked and prideful in our attitudes, yet he still set his love on us. Have you ever liked someone less the more you got to know them? Have have you ever been liked less the more others got to know you? We talk about the honeymoon stage of marriage where in the early stages of marriage, like everything the husband does is perfect. And everything the wife does is perfect. That's just the honeymoon stage. And then they start to realize this person does some annoying things. This person's got some bad habits. And it's almost as though the more we get to know certain people, the less we like them or the less we are liked. And yet this is what's so amazing about God's foreknowledge, his forelove. He knew about all of our weaknesses. He knew about all of our sins. He knew more about our sins than we know about our sins. And yet in spite of all of that, God in his grace and mercy and love still looked down upon his elect and bestowed upon them His electing and sovereign grace and mercy and love. What love. What grace. What glory. Let's close in prayer.